Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back. It's uh, tough times for everybody right now. There's also an awful lot of positive situations happening as well. Today we have a guest by the name of Gordon Cressy, and he has quite a story to tell in terms of his education and his work experiences. So welcome, Gordon. Let's talk about your education before you got into your work experience. Well, Peter, uh, I just did high school in Toronto at both Lawrence Park Collegiate and Northern Secondary School. And actually, before going on to college, uh, which was in Chicago, I did spend time with CUSO, which stood then for the Canadian University Service Overseas. Uh, and I was in Trinidad uh, with the YMCA, which is a story I will get to. Uh, I did my college in Chicago. Uh, place called George Williams. George Williams was the founder of the YMCA in England, and there was for many years in Montreal, Sir George William University. So I was there from 1964 to 67, which uh, was on the south side, and it was a fascinating time. Martin Luther King was there, Jesse Jackson was there, there were the race riots, and there was a Democratic Convention in Chicago, so it was a stimulating time. I did graduate school at the University of Toronto in social work, and uh, then I had a career. And in the area of education, you also taught as well. I did. I taught uh, at two places. I taught at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education for 10 years, and my focus then was on community work and how decisions were made in urban education from a political background, which I also had as a school trustee. I also taught at the Faculty of Social Work for five years. And uh, the majority of that actually was sharing experiences from the front line, which I think is one of the best ways that people can learn. You're absolutely correct on that. So let's start with your work experiences. And first of all, you started a, a sort of a work experience, more of an internship, I guess, with QSO. Yeah, that was uh, probably a, a fundamental time of my life. Uh, and actually how it all started, I was uh, in March break, had a little job as a part-time janitor at Northern Secondary School. And while I was there, I saw a sign that said, plenty of work, no pay in the Caribbean. Now, that sounded like a pretty neat idea, although I knew little of the Caribbean and I'd never, ever been on an airplane. But I applied and uh, was accepted. The orientation was very interesting because it was only a one-day experience at Harthouse for this two-year uh, event that we were going to embark on. And the person who was doing the orientation's name was Austin Clark, originally from Barbados and a 
well-known Canadian Barbadian writer who passed away a couple of years ago, but he, he said to each of us individually, so why are you going? And I didn't think I could say anything about beautiful beaches, but I thought, you know, I'll play on my church background. And I said, well, I, I, I'm going to help the people. And he shot back with this singer, well, if you're going to help the people, don't bother. And I didn't know what he meant by that. And then he said, if you're going to listen and learn, then you might be able to help the people. And I count that as one of the best pieces of advice I'd ever had and told him that 25 years later. At any rate, I went off to Trinidad to work with the YMCA. The head of the YMCA was from London, England. And unfortunately, after one month, he returned to England, and the board of directors turned to me and said, you are now the executive director of the YMCA in Trinidad. I was 19. So it was sink or swim, and we decided to swim. So we got a swimming pool, got it started. We sold some Canadian Christmas trees, which is uh, another story. Uh, I got to get part of getting things done, and all of that then led to the scholarship at George Williams College in Chicago. So I viewed that experience in terms of race, in terms of understanding social class as one who came from North Toronto and the Rosedale Golf Club as a turning point in my life, and I will always look back at that sort of 55 years later as what changed the direction for my life. So some of your work experiences, we could probably spend the whole half hour talking about them. Can you just quickly go through some of them and highlight something that was interesting in that experience? Well, let me do a couple. Um, one was in Trinidad. Uh, when I got there, uh, I had virtually no skills. I could teach swimming, and I was a pretty good ping-pong player, and they had a ping-pong table, and that actually helped me get to know people and get respected, but uh, most people in Trinidad cannot swim, and partly is because the sea is not close, and learning to swim in the sea is not always easy. So I went to the local hotel and asked if they would let us have three afternoons a week to let the kids who were at the Y swim. They said, understandably, no, it's for the tourists. And so there was no public swimming pool in Trinidad at all. But the U.S. had, during the Second World War, built a pool that had not been used for many years down near the waterfront. So off we went and asked them if we could use that pool. They uh, looked at us and said, well, we'll give it to you for a dollar a year if you fix it up. This was through the Port Authority. And that's what we did. We painted the pool. There was no filtration system. We got the fire department to put in 80 gallons of water every week and some chlorine and then empty it. I think at some point someone said, well, where does that fit in the budget? So then we found a drainage system and we got a filtration system. And here we are many, many, many years later, the pool still existent. Over 150,000 kids have learned to swim there. It's something that started with a little idea and got big. A second experience would have been on the south side of Chicago, where I worked uh, 
and uh, we had a little swim team at our local YMCA. We'd never ever competed in anything, and we managed to qualify for the state tournament. We finished eighth. Now, eighth for many wasn't too exciting, but for us, it was like winning a gold medal. And these kids saw something through that experience, and so did their parents. But rather than having a father and son banquet, we had a mother and son banquet. That seemed to make much more sense. Uh, if you follow the career back into Toronto, I, I was involved. In, I was involved with um, the the United Way, and I actually was head of the United Way. And the United Way had a uh, board of directors that was all white, but the city was no longer all white. And I said to the board, uh, we needed to change that. And they said, well, uh, we don't know anybody. And yet that was where the community was. So I went to a friend of mine, Dr. Joseph Wong, who actually is a Canadian icon now. And I suggested to him that that we uh, he come on the board. And he said... Well, Gordon, you don't serve our community. If you're interested, then why don't you uh, bring the head of the United Way, and we will have a meeting in our community. It'll be in Cantonese. We'll provide translators, and you'll know how we feel. And out of that, I went back, and the head of the Y, the chair, said, well, that's interesting. Do you mean we have to go out to bring people in? And I said, it is an interesting principle of organizing. At any rate, Joseph Wong came on the board. He eventually chaired the board. And the United Way in Toronto now is either number one or two in North America because you changed the leadership from the inside. And that leads to another kind of thought, which I have, which is you have to get the inside on side to go outside. Uh, as my career moved from the United Way to the University of Toronto to Ryerson, I had one experience in the private sector, and that was with Canadian Tire. And I was leading their foundation. And what our research showed was people liked Canadian Tire, and they did good work. But when we asked what was the good work, nobody seemed to know. And so we met with our dealers and what we realized is one of the things about Canadian Tire, it's where you got started. It's where you got your first pair of skates or your first bike. It wasn't the Olympics. It was at the start. And what we realized was one of the things that we could do was help get kids active. And it was becoming increasingly hard for kids to afford to be on teams and buy equipment and so we started this model, which exists to this day. It was called Jumpstart. It was a nice name, and it was how do you get kids started. And each dealer would form a community association with local agencies, and kids would apply to get funding through this program, Jumpstart, where we sold red tennis balls in the stores. And it actually took off. Uh, so who did it work for? Well, it worked for the kids. It worked for their parents. It worked for the community. It worked for the dealer. It worked for the brand. 
And so today, Canadian Tire Jumpstart is well-known right across the country. And let me share one more. Uh, for a time, I ran the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. The idea of the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund was to raise money for the children of South Africa. Uh, Nelson Mandela was and remains, although he's passed away, one of the great icons of our time. And he came to Toronto three times. The one time we organized for him to come was when he spoke at the Sky Dome to 50,000 kids. But it started back in June, and this was 1989, and we were told if Nelson Mandela was to come to Toronto, could you organize an event for 50,000 people? We had no location and we had no funding. I was then with the head of an organization called the Learning Partnership, which was building partnerships between community and the schools. We had a week. I went to my friend Harold Brathwaite, who was the director of education in Peel and the first black director of education in Ontario. And I said, you check out the education sector, I'll check out fundraising. After five days, we taught. He said, it's going to be very difficult. The teachers are on work to rule. It was in Mike Harris's time in government. And he said, and how much money have you raised? And I said, I haven't raised a dime. We both looked at each other and said, we'll do it. Sometimes if you have a great idea, you go against the risk and you make it happen. And that's what we did. The teachers' federations were not keen originally to be involved because of work to rule, but Buzz Horgrove was then the head of the Canadian Auto Workers, and he endorsed the project and put money in. And he said, leave it to me to get the teachers. And he did just that. And that lesson is a simple lesson. The lesson is if you can't do it yourself, find someone who can. Then the banks got involved. Then the governments got involved. And in September, Nelson Mandela did come with his wife, Grace Michelle, to the Sky Dome, and over 50,000 kids were there. So the lesson from all of that to me is if you have a good idea, you take the risk, and then you make it happen. Well, that's a few stories for more for now. If you want more, happy to do so. Well, one of the stories you could tell, Gord, is about the learning partnership and a program that you started there involving uh, kids going to work with their parents. Yeah, so the learning partnership uh, was set up uh, a little over 25 years ago. And again, it was trying to connect the community and the schools and business to make, restore confidence, frankly, in public education. Uh, because businesses, when it came down to it, could say this is important, but we give our money to universities. Uh, and I had this simple idea is that if you don't get it right at the beginning, you don't get it right later on. We heard about a program in the States which was called Take Our Daughters to Work, run by the Miss Foundation, and it was working. Uh, we decided, though, let's do it for everybody. Um, and the first thing was to get a name. We didn't quite know what to call it. Uh, we came up with the idea of Take Our Kids to Work. It was grade nine. And we started in Toronto. 
the idea was to spend a day with your parents in the workplace and see what work's all about and see what they do. And in one way, it's a way to appreciate more what your parents do. In another way, I think parents learn that teachers must have tough jobs. We said, take our kids to work rather than take your kids, because there are many parents who don't work for whatever reason, and we wanted those kids to have the experience. So again, that one started in Toronto, went across Ontario, and now it is right across Canada. 250,000 kids go out in the first week in November and have that experience. The media carried the story, and the reason they carried the story was they had kids at the workplace, so the kids were doing the interviews, were on television, were on the radio. It was a very exciting kind of experience. But again, it's getting a good idea. It doesn't have to be yours. It can come from somewhere else. Take that idea, build on it, and make it work. One other little one. Go ahead. ahead. Well, one other little one is many years after I had been in Trinidad, my wife and I went back to the smaller island of Tobago to build a YMCA with the community. Seemed like a nice idea. It fit with the idea of giving back where my experience had started. And uh, we were asked to go down and do it for no pay. In fact, it was intriguing too. So we raised some money up in Canada before we went down. We paid ourselves $2,000 a month and it all worked. But the great idea again doesn't always come from the top. Tobago, like Trinidad, didn't have a place to swim. So getting a swimming pool, uh, the only pools were at the hotels and wealthy villa owners was a good idea. The government uh, gave us some land and we had to go and raise the money. And one day one of the men who was driving the trucks and excavating the earth said, this is really good earth. And I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody in Tobago has a garden. Why don't we sell dirt? And the idea t- took off. It was called Topsoil Day for the YMCA. We had no idea if it would work. But the security guy called us at 7.30 in the morning said, there are 100 cars here, get down. Well, we raised 50000 that day, and then we did it a second day. And then when we went out to the corporations, we were able to show that the community supported this. And when the community supports something, it's easier to get the larger community to support it. And the workers, even during the World Cup, were working on Sundays, not for overtime, because, as they said to me, this is our pool too. It's for our kids. So building community through good ideas um, is how you get things done. Excellent. I want to pull three things together and then let you just talk about them, not individually, because they're interconnected. And that's fundraising, partnership, and leadership. Can you talk about those on a collective basis? Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as one who's been 40 years out there asking people for money and feeling pretty good about doing it, uh, the way you do that is build relationships. And it's not usually just asking, it's building. And you understand fundraising at its best is 
not ever begging. It's giving people an opportunity to participate in something that's important. And donors today want to both give money, but more than that, be involved. And that's where the idea of partnership comes in. So I'll give you one that ties all three of those. Uh, I've done a little work over the years at George Brown College. One of the great skill areas of George Brown, and probably it's best known for, is its culinary area. One of the programs it does in that area is quite brilliant, where it takes people with mental health problems and puts them in a one-year assisted cook program in which they get real jobs. Nothing better than a real job for someone. And so we were looking to how do you raise money and the idea was, well, let's use food. Let's get the best chefs in the country. Most of them went to George Brown. We called it the food court social. So the chefs came, they put out food that night, people came, it supported this augmented education program. It brought the community together. It brought the top chefs together. It brought top business people together. And the stories were told by the kids themselves. And in some ways, those three words then connect. It is about raising funds for important cause. It is about having a good positive experience in an evening and having fun with each other. It is about partnership because the various chefs that often compete came together to work together for common cause. And it is about leadership because some of the things that emerged from that evening continue on years later. So it strikes me that fundraising in the end starts with the idea of building relationships. It then falls into partnerships and in the end leadership comes from all of that. So getting that done uh, to me is where success is and it is that Three components to that to me are tenacity, patience, and humor. You put all those together, and those are the ingredients to play those three words out. You're very good at humor, I know, from past experience. Um, and I think one of the things that you didn't have a label back then, but you really were a social innovator. And uh, you have created a number of social enterprises, not, not with that label, but all based on giving back to community. Well, uh, I mean, it strikes me, you know, Peter, you and I came from similar backgrounds, sort of the middle or upper middle class in North Toronto. And... Uh, it seems to me when you come from privilege, you have two choices. One is to earn more privilege and make more money, and uh, that is one grounds for success. Another is to say that you have an obligation or a responsibility to try and even the odds in the community. And some who do well do that through the gift of money. Uh, some do it through the gift of time. Some try to do it through both. And I guess for me personally, uh, that trying to even the odds is kind of a legacy that I feel pretty proud to be part of helping create. So 
when you see things that are wrong, uh, we don't have the right to sit it out. It seems to me, like the pandemic we're in, we need to stand up and be counted for things that are important because we will get through this, but we will not get through it by being silent. And I think one final area that I'd like to briefly talk about, and for those listening, I live in a community called Markham, Ontario, and our community is over 40% Chinese, 20% Indian, Pakistani, and Sri Lankan. And I know, so therefore, I'm a minority in my community. But I think, Gord, you have a, an interesting perspective that you have experienced in terms of the Chinese community and various experiences that you've had in actually going to China. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think it builds on that last comment. Uh, you and I grew up in Toronto when it was a white city. It is no longer that. And my experiences, whether they were in Trinidad or in the south side of Chicago, got me involved in race relations when I came back to Toronto. And so I've always viewed diversity as a strength. And when you see things that are wrong, you take them on. So whether it was through the Harmony Movement that I helped create or the Urban Alliance and Race Relations where I was on the board, or five years ago when a group of us came together to take on carding in Toronto, which was racial profiling of young black people. It just seemed that that's what we needed to do. And this pandemic, there is concern, and perhaps with some worthy discussion about of China's role in the virus in the early days. Tragically, one of the fallouts for that at the moment has been a very strong anti-Asian or anti-Chinese backlash, not just in Toronto, but other major cities like Vancouver and Montreal. And uh, one of the sports that I got involved with was table tennis, and I'm a member of a table tennis club where most of the members are of Chinese origin. And they've been telling me about experiences they've been having in terms of attacks, sometimes verbal, uh, sometimes stronger than verbal, in terms of go back to where you came from, you're the reason for this problem. Those smack of something that is wrong and unacceptable, and it seems to me the Chinese community is not the people who need to take that on. It is those of us in the broader community who are not of Chinese or Asian background. So that's one of the things uh, I'm working on as you and I are talking today, and I hope to have an op-ed with a couple of other community leaders in the Toronto Star. But I think we will be better together if we do things together. In this pandemic, uh, people operate off fear. I understand that. They want to blame somebody, but it doesn't take us anywhere. And so if we're going to come out of this better, and I hope we will, then it is through taking the initiative and not sitting on the sidelines and standing up and be counted. And I hope your listeners today would say, that makes good sense. What can I do now? So thank you very much, Gordon. You have some good views. You've had some incredible experiences. And you still 
believe in giving back to community. So we appreciate your time, and thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. We're not done yet. <laughs>